I am a content creator on Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. I make beauty and fashion content. And what kind of content do you make? It's a little bit of big and tall modeling. And then I started creating like family content because I have five kids. So it was kind of like balancing this modeling thing and learning how to be a creator and then also bringing up small children. That's our producer, Josh Gabbert-Doyen, speaking to attendees of VidCon, one of the biggest annual events for what's come to be known as the creator economy. The dream is that anyone can make a career on social media by building up an audience on platforms like YouTube or TikTok. And VidCon draws a pretty lively crowd. This exhibition hall is huge, just massive. It smells like candy, tons of kids. There's a bouncy ball pit, kind of soft pit that you can help squish mellows that you can jump in. VidCon took place in Anaheim, California last month. Content creators came to meet their fans and talk about how they can expand their careers on social media, add more followers and make more money. And what they post about is kind of dizzying. I make educational comedic zoology videos about animals, like a hundred animals that can, you know, effing kill you. I make comedy content where I do like sketches and then for my like long form stuff, I love making Lego sets. I am a professional hockey player. So I'm connecting content creating with a hockey and I just focusing with a, like day with my girlfriends. I have a twin, so the video with my brother. I started with sketches, short videos on YouTube. Then I kind of uh, had like, how to say, mental kind of break because I did every kind of girl's problems type of sketch. I work as a sound editor. I primarily work on other people's videos, but I'm looking at creating my own brand and creating my own channel. Over the past decade, the creator economy has become a multi-billion dollar industry, and it's transformed the social media landscape. Platforms have become heavily reliant on the content that these creators produce, and they pay for it too. As content creators become more powerful, they're starting to ask the question, do social media platforms need us more than we need them? This is Tectonic from the Financial Times. I'm Elaine Moore, deputy editor of the FT's Lex column. And in this season of the podcast, I'm asking, have we reached peak social media? And if so, where do we go from here? The past decade has been very good for social media giants financially. It's also been good for the influencers who make their money using them. In this episode, how the creator economy took off and what it means for the future of social media. Uploading 30-second dances to TikTok or posting photos of yourself on holiday might not sound like work. But for the people who make a living putting content on social media, online popularity is a full-time job. Their success means that social media has become a place where audiences now seek out a few well-known figures instead of their friends. When I joined Instagram, I only followed people I knew. We'd share photos and write messages. Now, I mostly follow creators. Instead of connecting to other users and uploading my own photos, I've become part of a large and passive audience of viewers. This is how YouTube, TikTok, Twitch, and other platforms work as well. The change has turned a handful of young people into superstars, 
something that advertisers are keen to tap into. What's up, everybody? Hello, everyone. It is Charlie. Hello, friends. It's me. And today, I guess I'm just going to do like a get ready with me sort of thing. Social entertainment has eclipsed social networking. It turns out that for platforms, it's more lucrative for users to sit back and watch videos from Jake Paul or Mr. Beast than it is to have those users engaging with one another. And that's why creators have become so important to the social media business model. Our producer Josh went to VidCon to try to understand how the industry is evolving. I mainly spent time following around somebody named Chris Collins, who goes by the handle Call Me Chris. And I wanted to talk to Chris because she was pretty typical YouTube star. She'd gotten famous very quickly, and she was kind of trying to figure out what to do next. I met up with Chris in the industry lounge, which was on one of the upper floors of the convention center with beanie bags and low lighting. Away from the fans. Yeah, away from the fans, somewhere a little bit peaceful for the creators and also with high-end refreshments. What are you getting? With Coffee and mango. Mango? Is that okay? Dried mango? Yeah. yeah <laughs> <laughs> I was just curious. <laughs> I'm just taking free food, man. <laughs> Chris was pretty new to all of this. She had been working a regular job up until the pandemic. I was a hairdresser before, and I was also a lash technician. So yeah, I was just doing that full time out of my parents' basement suite. And then the pandemic hit, she starts making videos. I started doing lip sync videos where like you would lip sync over an audio and then put your own joke with it. And I made a few about my mom and my dad, and I can't remember exactly what they were about, but it was probably only like a month and a half in, and they both got millions of views, and then it just didn't stop. Chris also starts to build up a team. She gets an assistant, a professional video editor, a lawyer, and an agent, and she starts really churning out these videos. What are these videos that she's putting up online? Is it mostly her lip-syncing along, or what are the scripts that she's writing? So she starts with these kind of lip-syncing gag videos on TikTok, and then she moves to YouTube, where she does these longer videos, these vlogs. She gets into something called reaction videos, which are kind of category of YouTube video, which is basically just somebody sitting in front of their camera reacting to another video or maybe a meme or something that's gone viral. They sound something like this. Yes, we are going to be watching cringy TikToks. What happened in this video? <laughs> Didn't even go that high. Was that real? Oh, I love that. <laughs> So she does a lot of these videos, which are maybe 10 to 20 minutes long. Some of it's scripted, some of it's natural, just emotional reaction to whatever it is that's kind of hot that day. They speak to a very broad audience. She told me that most of the audience is between 12 and 25. So, you know, primarily younger. I think if you don't spend a lot of time sitting on YouTube, it might be hard to understand what a reaction video is. How is she making money just by reacting to somebody else's video on YouTube? So there are two main ways creators make money. The first is through revenue sharing from the platforms. Somebody like Chris is going to be getting a cut of the ads that are on her videos. Maybe this is money that a platform has set aside or it's just kind of a revenue share, right? The second is brand deals. So because Chris is a popular influencer, she can charge a brand a certain amount and she'll advertise for them on a post or on one of these videos. And I actually got to see this sort of happen firsthand. Chris was doing an event with one of her advertisers at VidCon. So we had this walk downstairs through the conference from this kind of loungy zone. We had to walk through the entire conference hall. 
Oh, yeah, totally. Oh, hey, sorry, nice to meet you. You look so pretty. Oh, My name's I didn't know very much about Chris. I mean, I hadn't heard of her before I started reporting on this. But when I got to VidCon, there was just all of these young fans coming up to her, asking for autographs, or just straight up giving her gifts. I don't have a pen! I should have a pen! Because I made a book for all the people I was excited to see, and I put you in here. Oh my gosh, no way! I made it at least on your page. Oh, and I also made you a bracelet, too. You did not. Yeah. Oh my god. It's so sweet. Like she has a very close relationship with these fans who are just watching her. I think it was it was pretty sweet, and she was good with these fans. Do you get a lot of people sending you or giving you free stuff? Yeah, I, and I, I used to have a PO box, and I literally my garage is filled like to my roof with stuff, and I had to close the PO box because I couldn't have more any more stuff. Chris has this eager fan base. They're sending her stuff. Of course, that's also really valuable to people that are advertising with her. She has this audience that's ready-made, it's it's built in there. Chris's management team had organized this little demo with this company there. What was this brand selling? They were an editing software company. So they did green screen template videos. This is kind of within the realm of the creator economy. They had a booth in the exhibition hall. And basically the setup was Chris was standing on this little platform and it had a camera arm that would swing around her and a rep from the brand was sort of overseeing the whole thing. There's this thudding music. It's quite an intense atmosphere. This is her bread and butter. This is Chris at work, engaging with fans, being in front of the camera. There's this whole crowd of kids wanting to just kind of watch everything that she was doing. She was put on the spot to just stand on this platform and had to choose something kind of entertaining to do as the camera was circling her. Can you do like an idle character like in a video game where like they have like yeah, one yeah, room? Yeah, 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 yeah. Don't try that. We'll <laughs> and then we can upload it. So Chris did this video game character stance. They took some photos and then they were all going to post it on the channels. And this is part of how these brand deals work. A creator gets paid to post something. Chris was whisked off to a meet and greet. And I asked her agent, Keith Billeroy, about the event as well. How do, how do you think that went, Keith? Flawless. Do you think the crowd likes it? They love it, they eat it up, and I'm glad you can come here and experience the full Collins 360, you know? So this is the money man. He's making sure that Chris is getting paid by the brands. That's right. He's going between the brands who want to advertise with her and the talent. Chris is one of his talent. So he's making these deals. Keith works for a firm called A3 Artist Agency in New York. He started out doing endorsement deals for Olympic athletes, but about 10 years ago, he realized that more and more what was happening was kind of being done online, and these digital creators were going to become more important. So he switched up basically to representing influencers. And of course, he talked up Chris quite a bit. So talented in educating, but also entertaining her audience. 99% of the time, the audience doesn't even realize they're watching an ad, which is extremely impressive. It's also quite controversial. Well, I mean, you know, some people might say sneaking in ads like that is a bit controversial, but it works for the advertisers. The content that she posts organically on a daily basis is so brand friendly that it like we're inundated with requests. So this is where things heat up a bit. For creators and the platforms, this relationship has been mutually beneficial, at least for the last little while. Platforms get good content and the creators get an audience they can sell products to. But what Keith told me is that these days, platforms can be kind of unreliable. They can move the goalposts. They can change their policies. They might run into regulatory problems like with TikTok. All of these things that get in the way of creators making money. 
especially the more a town is relying on a single platform. That's scary, you know? That's your livelihood. These platforms can go away tomorrow. They can just disappear. Algorithms can change. They can all of a sudden just get no views. So how do you diversify? And how do you make sure that this is a career that you can be doing for years and years to come? Chris told me that this is something that someone like her thinks about all the time. It's an occupational hazard. TikTok changes its algorithm like so much that it's affected views for sure, which then in fact will affect my revenue because brands will look at that and be like, oh, her views went down, you know, 20% or like 30%. That definitely affects the revenue with the algorithm. Then you kind of figure out like, okay, well, what do I need to do to get back on that algorithm track? And same thing with YouTube's. You have so many dips. The creator's biggest battle is the algorithm in any platform. Like that is our biggest enemy. <laughs> Another example a lot of creators told me about was the rise of YouTube shorts. That's basically to compete with TikTok. That's right, short form content to compete with TikTok. You can imagine that if you're a content creator, you've gotten really good at making these long 10 to 20 minute YouTube videos and getting paid off that. And all of a sudden, YouTube turns around and says it wants 30 second videos. It's a lot of insecurity for them to take on. I have some sympathy for that if you look at what's happening with Twitter under Elon Musk, relying on just one platform whose ownership could change all of a sudden and could destroy your audience would be quite scary. So I guess diversifying across different platforms makes sense. But there's nothing they can really do about this. The audiences are on the platforms. I think at the very least, somebody like Keith wants to make sure that the creators that he's representing are diversifying. Because, yeah, you want to make sure that you're not going to be at the whims of these platforms. In Chris's case, She's not relying on one platform. She's across different platforms. And she's also trying to move her audience also towards merch, right? She has this clothing brand called Auto. And then, you know, the other thing that he talked to me about was that you might try to direct people towards a newsletter so that you can kind of get their contact details so that if you want to sell them something at a later date, the creators have that more direct relationship with their audience. So this is what a lot of people are looking for is a more direct relationship with their fan base that can kind of circumvent the platforms. It's amazingly enterprising when you compare it to the origins of a company like Twitter. When we spoke to the founders of Twitter, they said they had no idea about how to make money. And yet we've evolved to a stage where creators who were just using the platforms are so enterprising that they have their eyes firmly on the prize from the beginning. Yeah, and of course, there's another thing here too, which is that because of the competition between platforms like YouTube and TikTok, this kind of video content, you know, gives creators a certain amount of power to draw their audiences to different places. I mean, Chris was conscious of this. She went from TikTok fame and immediately went on to establish herself on YouTube. And it's something that Keith thinks about a lot. These creators generate so much revenue for these platforms that I, I do think they are gaining leverage. I think the ones that are polarizing, the ones that really have that relationship with their audience, you don't want to piss them off. There's a lot of places that they can go, you know? Like, all of these platforms are competing with each other. They're competing for eyeballs. They're competing for screen time. And it's very easy for a creator to just stop posting on a specific platform for whatever reason. The language that he's using there, I mean, it's loaded. It's a threat. Yeah, I think it is. It's a threat because he's saying the platform needs his talent more than the creators need the platforms. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The relationship between platforms and the creators is growing more complicated. Creators need platforms to find an audience, but they also know that platforms are increasingly dependent on them and will pay to keep them. We've seen an increase in companies setting aside pots of money and agreements to share ads revenue. The question is how far creators can push things. Can they take their audience with them if they leave a social media platform? Surely the creators need the platforms to find their audience. How do they go off on their own? Here's Josh again. The next day at VidCon... I met up with Chris and her entourage at their hotel because they were planning something for the festival before their very first panel of the day. So I got there very early. I had to go through heavy traffic so I could catch the big black Escalade that was traveling from the hotel to the conference. So it was Chris in this car, and she was also with another influencer named Selena Spooky Boo. I know who she is. I watch her on TikTok. She does these sleepwalking video. She's very adorable. I think she must, I think she eats something before she sleeps to ensure that she sleepwalks. But it's just her cackling to herself or walking around or talking to herself or thinking that a plant is uh, someone she knows. They are very sweet. Well, Selena Spooky Boo was set to do this panel with Chris and they were orchestrating a prank as part of the panel. We're going to get up and yell at them. Like, they came all the way from Texas. Which they would later turn into a prank video. They were going to sit in the audience before the panel started. The MC was going to go on stage and say, they're not here yet, they're late. And then in the audience, they were going to be wearing costumes. They were going to jump up, start screaming, and then they rush towards the backstage area. And obviously somebody had not briefed the security guards about this. So one of the security guards comes and tries to tackle Chris. The crowd loved it. The crowd's eating it up. That's what matters. That was the important part. Anyways, Chris and Selena continue on their panel. I went to go talk to some other people about the creator economy because after talking to Keith, Chris's agent, I was sort of wondering what would this actually look like if creators are going to start taking more power And there are a couple of different ways that the creator economy could evolve over the next few years. Megan Lightcap, an investor with a VC firm called Slow Ventures, she leads their investments in the creator economy. She's hoping to be part of how creators gain a little bit of independence from the platforms. We've observed this really interesting kind of shift in power away from brands, institutions, corporations towards the individual. I mean, I even think this is happening kind of across industries. Creators or individuals are building crazy parasocial relationships with their fan bases. And so they have unbelievable distribution, crazy high engagement. And many of them are building businesses, brands, different ventures or projects kind of on top of that distribution. Basically, Megan is betting that creators are going to become more and more important and that they're going to have economic force as a business in their own right. She's hoping to provide the creators with some capital to do that. Despite looking and feeling like businesses, they don't have access to capital in the same way that startups do. We saw this and said, okay, well, what if we actually provide creators themselves with growth capital to invest and deploy any way that they want? So these individual online celebrities are being turned into startups effectively. Yeah, and that seems like a good bet for a VC firm. 
we're chatting with a creator now who has a very specific niche, call it like within a slice of home DIY. So he has this YouTube channel, which makes money just from AdSense and brand deals and all that stuff. And now he's thinking about launching almost like him being the distribution arm for equipment manufacturers within his space. So this would be a home improvement creator selling power tools. Yeah, so this creator already has an ad revenue share. They have brand deals. And now they're thinking about like a full-on way to act as a distributor for power tools. The bigger idea, of course, is that creators are looking to be less tied to the platforms. And they're looking to other forms of financing to do that. We also know that there's a rise of more direct revenue streams like Patreon and OnlyFans. I can see that if you have a huge audience, if you're Mr. Beast, then you can pick that audience up and take them across to somewhere else. But that presumably works for a very small number of creators. What's everybody else at VidCon trying to do? Yeah, for most people, the idea of building a business without the platforms is much harder. For the average creator, it's just about getting paid more fairly for their work. This is something that Lindsay Lugren is trying to do. She was at VidCon. Lindsay is an influencer herself. She started out as a model, mainly using Instagram. All these brands would hit me up and they'd want to give me free clothes that I didn't really want. Nobody wanted to pay me. That's quite a common complaint that influencers are not actually getting paid for their work. They just get free stuff from brands. Yeah, and she later moved away from modeling. And then I started my goofy online alter ego, Miss Young Professional, which is like a comedy about sexism in the workplace. So mainly skits and memes, and she found she wasn't really getting paid very much from her brand deals with that account either. So she starts this company. I am the co-founder and CEO of Fuck You Pay Me. Essentially how it works is if you have a strong audience on social media and brands are asking you to post about them, you can look them up on FYPM and see how much they paid other people for the same thing. That's quite a name for a company. It's a bold choice, and I think that it shows a certain amount of resentment toward the brands that aren't really paying influencers very much. And from Lindsay's perspective, getting brands to pay more for these deals would help expand the creator economy, and it would give them more leverage online. Pay transparency has helped a lot. I think that it's something that brands know they're going to have to embrace just because creators expect it now. And I think that that's going to lead to just an expansion of the creator economy in general. There is this effort for the creator economy to actually talk about these issues of pay and working conditions. And creators are flexing their muscles more in pay negotiations. They're starting to see themselves as more self-sufficient. That could be something that really shapes the industry of social media in the next few years. There are signs that the role of creators in the social media business model is changing. Some investors are willing to back internet creators directly instead of social media companies. That's going to start causing headaches for the platforms. For years, people were posting on Facebook, MySpace, Snapchat, and Instagram for free. Over time, that's changed. To be a successful platform with compelling content, you need to pay. What I found talking to people at VidCon was that there were all these small ways where creators were exerting a certain pressure on the social media companies. And particularly when you think about all of the young people that were at VidCon, I mean, that was the fan base, their their allegiance is to these creators. And that's going to end up impacting the platforms and the kind of choices they make about the product that they're offering users. The relationship between content creators and the platforms, it felt like it was hitting an inflection point. Chris, the creator who I was following around at the conference, 
she was exploring her options. And I think she was doing that partially because she was in a position to do that. I mean, she was in a position of power and partially because she was aware of how insecure her position was. I'm like working on a million things. I'm trying to diversify my revenue streams as much as I can. I don't want to be stuck like, hey, YouTube's gone. I'm like, oh no. It seems like young people who grew up watching YouTubers like Jake Paul get rich are much better at seeing the business of social media than I was when I joined and I just saw it as some way that you connect with your friends. I think that's right. I mean, I think they see them as businesses. They're also seeing these platforms as something that might not be here tomorrow. We've seen a lot of social media platforms come and go. So you were at VidCon talking to lots of creators, but how many of the social media companies were there? Did you see them taking this idea seriously? I mean, they had this massive presence at VidCon. It really is an industry event. You know, TikTok had a big room and a big section. YouTube has a big section. Instagram has parties. You know, we've seen these companies increase the amount of money that they're willing to give to creators as part of these ad revenue and these creator funds. So we know that YouTube pays very well. TikTok pays okay. Snapchat has also put a lot of money towards their creator fund. We also know that Twitter recently has been doing this. So they're definitely taking the threat seriously and they're seeing it as a cost of doing business. But creators are still at the mercy of the largesse of these companies because if TikTok wanted to remove its creator fund, there's no formal agreement that says that it has to keep paying out money to creators, is there? No, no. We saw this recently with Twitch where they cut how much they were paying out to their creators and there's very little recourse. I think that's a big threat to the creators. They're not unionized. They're not unionized. They don't have much power as a collective. But there's still signs that that could be shifting. I do think that the platforms are taking them more seriously. It's also impossible to talk about social media without talking about creators. You know, however they work out their relationship in in the next few years, we're not going back to a world of social networking. Modern social media is the creator economy. There's kind of no way of pulling them apart. Josh, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. On the next episode of Tectonic, how to build a better social media. These spaces should at least in part be public spaces. They should be run more like parks and libraries and less like shopping malls and corporate campuses. Is the era of the all-encompassing global social network over? And are smaller platforms the answer to a healthier social media experience? They have really strict rules around, you know, sort of civility and basically like, you know, don't be a jerk, don't be hateful. So individual communities can provide these really unique spaces for people to sort of come and find and and build a home. You've been listening to Tectonic from the Financial Times. I'm Elaine Moore. Our producer is Josh Gabbert-Doyen and senior producer Edwin Lane. Our executive producer is Manuela Saragossa. Mixing by Breen Turner and Sam Giovinco. The FT's global head of audio is Cheryl Brumley. Special thanks for this episode to Christina Criddle and Hannah Murphy. And before you go, we've made some articles related to this podcast free to read on the FT's website. You can see links to those articles in the show notes, including a recent piece I wrote on the evolution of social media. Thanks for listening.